Have you um, ever done something, something that you cannot fix, something that you cannot uh, take back, something that you wish you would, and you wonder if you can ever be forgiven for it? I want you to hold that thought, if you would, for a little bit. We're going to get back to that a little bit later in the message. But we're going to start somewhere else before we get to it. You know, we take it for granted, but the, uh, and sometimes we joke about it, but the U.S. Postal Service is pretty amazing when you think about it. Letters, packages, important documents. Uh, we just take it for granted that these things will get to where we want them to go in a relatively timely fashion, at least 99% of the time. But it's not always been that way. For most of human history, delivery of mail, of letters, was seldom a, a sure thing. In the ancient world, in the Roman world, um, when you wrote a letter that you were sending to a different part of the Roman Empire, you had to find somebody who was traveling to the letter's destination. That was not always easy to find. And then you had to convince them to take the responsibility of carrying that letter for you. And when you factored in hazardous uh, traveling conditions, bandits, poor weather, poor roads, accidents, um, disease and sickness, etc., you counted yourself uh, blessed if your letter actually made it to where you wanted it to go. You took a chance, you put your trust in the letter carrier, and you hoped for the best. Well, that's how Paul's letters and James and John's and Peter's letters, all the letters in the New Testament, made it to their destinations. And so today, as we continue our sermon series looking at um, New Testament books that are one chapter long, we come to one of Paul's letters that um, is very interesting and it's, it's very personal because of the relationship, the complicated, unique relationship between the letter carrier and the receiver of that letter. We know the, the, the sender of the letter is, is Paul. We see that in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Uh, this is one of Paul's so-called prison letters, letters that he wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome. We know the receiver of the letter is a man named Philemon. We again see that in verse 1, where it says, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, <laughs> also to Aphia, our sister, we think that was uh, Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So there was a, a house church that met in Philemon's home. Uh, we know that he was a close friend of Paul's. We know that he was a fellow believer in Christ. And we can infer from this letter that he was pretty well off because of a couple things. One, he had a house that was big enough to hold the church meeting. And then two, as we're going to see, he had the resources necessary to own slaves. Third, the leather carrier is a man named Onesimus. And this is where it gets interesting. Onesimus was Paul's mailman on this occasion. He was a runaway slave, but not only that, he was a thief too, as he had stolen money from his master before he had run away. And his owner was Philemon. And now Paul is sending Onesimus, this runaway slave, this thief, back to his owner, Philemon, along with his letter, along with a plea. Verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do <laughs> what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, in the ancient world, slavery was a fairly common thing, but it was also uh, different than the slavery we know of and, and read about in our nation's history. In the Roman world, a, a wealthy person or family uh, would have servants, 
uh, who belonged to them. And most of the time they were treated well. Sometimes they weren't, but most of the time they were. And, and even on occasion, they would be set free after years of service. And on other occasions, it would be even adopted as members of the family. But for most, they were still slaves. They were limited in where they could go and what they could do. And, and apparently, this was Onesimus, his situation. He had become frustrated for some reason. And Maybe he wanted to see the rest of the world. He lived in Colossae with his owner Philemon. And Colossae was a small city in what's modern-day Turkey. And maybe he wanted to see the, the world. And so he needed something to, to fund that journey, so he stole. We don't know what. Gold, money, spices, jewelry. He stole from Philemon, and, and then he took off for the capital city, the bright lights of Rome, 1,500 miles away from Colossae. Now, we're not sure exactly how Onesimus met Paul when he was in Rome, but he did. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ, and his life was changed. But he had a bit of a dilemma. You see, he knew that what he had done was wrong. And he was different now that he had found Christ. But he didn't know what to do about what he had done. And so he consulted Paul, his spiritual mentor, and Paul told him to do something very hard. He told him he had to go back to a Philemon, his, his owner, and he had to make things right. Now, sometimes there are things that we need to do in life to make things right from our past, and it's not easy. Go back and apologize for something hurtful we've said or, or done. Return something that we took that doesn't belong to us. Own up to something that we did that nobody knows that we did. And those sorts of things are really difficult to do. And yet they are key to demonstrating the difference that Jesus Christ makes in a person's life. And they are key in our ability to move on past the guilt and the shame over what we have done. Well, that's no doubt sort of what Paul told Onesimus. And, and Paul knew that Philemon, even though he was a Christian, would be very upset about what Onesimus had done. So Paul wrote this letter to sort of mediate, to vouch for Onesimus. And Onesimus, to his credit, took the letter from Paul and traveled 1,500 miles to his, his owner, Philemon, to face what he had done. Now, we don't know, but we can imagine how Philemon must have felt when this runaway slave, this thief, this person he had tr trusted shows up on his doorstep with this letter from Paul. He must have thought the nerve and the gall of this guy to show up at our house after what he has done. Now, we should know that under Roman law, runaway slaves were treated as criminals. They could be beaten, they could be imprisoned, they could even be executed. And who knows what was running through Philemon's mind? We don't know what would happen if Paul had not written this letter. Well, anyhow, as Philemon would have been reading this letter, he would have come to verse 10, which says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now, it's easy to miss, but Paul is doing a little uh, wordplay here because Onesimus in the Greek means useful. Paul is saying that before Christ, before Onesimus met Christ, he was useless to you, Philemon, but now that he follows Jesus, he's useful to you and he's useful to me for the gospel. Philemon must have been thinking, well, that, that remains to be seen. 
And then he read a little further to verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And then in case Philemon wonders if this is a fake letter, Paul adds, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. And Philemon would have realized that Paul knew the whole story about how Onesimus had stolen from him, had run away, had broken their trust. And, and yet Paul tells Philemon, whatever he's stolen, whatever Philemon, whatever Onesimus has taken, charge it to me, put it on my account, I'll take care of it. And that in part is an illustration about what's in this, this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what Paul did for Onesimus and paying for Onesimus what he could not, a debt he could not repay, that's what Jesus Christ does for men and women and children who put their trust in him. He pays a debt to God. He pays a debt to holiness that we can never repay. When Nicholas I was czar of Russia, he um, used to like to um, <coughs> go to his outpost dressed as an ordinary soldier. He would disguise himself as a captain or a lieutenant, and, and he would say the password, and then he was able to inspect the troops, inspect the fortifications, and no one would ever know who he was. In, in one of those outposts, there was a young man uh, who was uh, the son of a friend of Nicholas, the emperor, and this young man was uh, the financial officer for the post. It was his job to, to pay for the soldiers, to, to, to pay for the provisions that they would use. And it was a lonely outpost. He was young, just getting started in his career. And as soldiers have done for centuries, he began to gamble. Well, at first he began to dip into his own personal funds, but then it wasn't enough. So he began to dip into the, the funds the government had entrusted to him. And he had always intended to pay it back. He figured he would one night hit the jackpot, you know, have a big winning, and, and then he'd pay it back. But then one day the news came that the second section, which were the secret police of the emperor, were coming to the post to check the books to make sure everything was on the up and up. Well, the young man was panicked, and so he ran back to his, to his room, and he took the financial books off the shelves, and he took out a piece of paper, and he figured out what he should have had. And then he took the gold from the safe, and he counted it up, and, and he saw what he actually had. And then he subtracted, and it was an enormous amount, way more than he had imagined, way more than he could possibly repay. And he knew that when the secret police came the next day that they would discover this and they would arrest him and his, he and his family would be em, embarrassed and, and disgraced. And, well, he just could not face that. And so desperate, desperately he decided to take his own life. He decided at midnight it's all going to be over. And so he reached into a drawer of the desk and pulled out a revolver, a revolver, and he reached into the other drawer and pulled out a bottle of vodka, and he began to drink. And he sat there drinking and staring at the, the figures on the paper, and he took a pencil and, and almost absentmindedly wrote out a sentence, a great debt, who can pay? And the answer, of course, was nobody. He wished it'd be different, but it wasn't, and so he decided he would end it at midnight, and he kept drinking and staring, and eventually he laid his head down on the desk, and the panic and the fear and the vodka combined, and he fell asleep. It was during that day that Nicholas had come to the young man's outpost disguised as an officer. 
And in that evening before he retired, he, he noticed a light in, in the distance. And he was curious to see what it was about, so he went to see it. He knocked on the door, and nobody answered. Uh, he pushed the door open, looked inside, and saw the young man with his head on the desk, asleep, gold coins on the desk. And so he walked behind the soldier, or came up behind the soldier, and he, he looked down, and he, he saw the young man asleep. He saw the gold pieces. He saw the books. He saw the figures on the page. And he saw that pathetic sentence, a great debt who can pay. Nicholas deduced what had happened, and he was about to arrest the young man when he noticed something. The young man was the son of one of his friends. And so Nicholas picked up the pen on the page, on the desk. He wrote one word, and then he took a signet ring, which represented him, and he stamped it on the page, and he walked out into the night. An hour passed, and then two hours. And the young man awakened, and still in a fog, he picked up the gun, he held it to his head, and, and then he looked down on the page. He saw that sentence, that awful sentence, a great debt, who can pay? And below it was a name, Nicholas. Nicholas, he, he knew that name. That was the name of the emperor, the name of, of his father's friend. And under the name was the mark of the emperor's signet ring. And he knew somehow, some way that the emperor, Nicholas, had come in during the night and that Nicholas had guaranteed his debt. So he put his books back on the shelf and he put the gold back in the safe. He lay down on his cot and he, and he waited for morning. And the next morning came and true to his word, Nicholas paid to the last coin, the last bit of gold, everything the boy had stolen. One word spoke peace and freedom to that young boy's heart. Nicholas, the name of the czar, the name of the king. One word. The name of the king the name of the Son of God, Jesus, brings peace to all who trust in him. One word, Jesus guarantees a great debt, a debt that we can never repay on our own. One word, Jesus spares us shame, spares us disgrace. One word, Jesus sets us free and gives us a new lease on life. As a classic hymn puts it, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its ugly stain. He washed it white as snow. And so what Paul did for Onesimus and what Nicholas I did for that young soldier, Jesus did for us, for every man, woman, and child who have trusted in him. A great debt, we ask, who can pay? Jesus. And that's the gospel in human terms. Martin Luther said all of us were God's Onesimus. In other words, we are slaves. We merit nothing. We have done things that are wrong. We stand before a righteous and holy God. And yet the Lord Jesus says, if he or she has done anything wrong or owes anything, charge that to my account. Put it on me. I will pay it. Jesus has done it all, and all that's left for us to do is to accept the work of Christ on our behalf. We have a choice. We can either pay for it ourselves by spending the eternity apart from God, or we can allow Jesus to pay for it, and he already has, and spend eternity with him forever. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to ponder for us, because when the devil rises to accuse us, Jesus says, put that on my account. 
And when the world points out our faults, our failures, when our own conscience condemns us about what a failure we are, Jesus stands before the Father with pierced hands in the air and says, put that on my account. I have paid it. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. But there's even more. Because after, after Paul vouched for Onesimus to Philemon, after he said he'd pay whatever Onesimus owed, he took it one step further. Philemon could have said, okay, Onesimus, your debt is covered. Take your place as a slave in my house. Go back to the way things were before. That would have been his right as a slave owner. But Paul called Philemon to a new way of relating to Onesimus when he says in verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, Paul wrote, welcome him as you would welcome me. Philemon and his wife were to do for Onesimus what they would do for Paul if it was Paul himself who showed up on the doorstep. And history shows us that apparently that they did. That they answered Paul's advice, they answered his plea, because the early church fathers record that the bishop of Ephesus was none other than Onesimus, a freed slave, a forgiven thief. There's a wonderful phrase in one of Paul's other letters, Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 6, which says in the King James Version, we are accepted in the Beloved, the Beloved referring to Christ. You know, in the New Testament, over 140 times, it says of those who have chosen to follow Christ that we are in Christ, we are in Him, we are in the Beloved. It's a major way that the writers of the New Testament refer to those who are followers of Christ. And what it's saying is this. When you become a Christian, you are not only forgiven of everything you've done, are doing, and will do. You are accepted. You're accepted into the beloved, into Jesus Christ. And that means that all that God would do for his beloved son, he does for those who put their trust in him. We are loved far more than we can ever imagine. Nearer, nearer to my God, I cannot be. The love of God has for his son, he has for me. Dearer, dearer to my God, I cannot be. The love that God has for his son, he has for me. And for each person here who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. And that is great news. The best news that Onesimus had ever heard in his life. And it's the best news that you and I will ever hear as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you again for this word that Paul wrote a couple thousand years ago. And Lord, we thank you that, um, that Jesus Christ has paid it all for us, that though yet we uh, have sinned and fallen short of your glory, Lord, that Jesus has paid the price and said, put it on me. Whatever Doug owes, whatever, um, whoever owes who trusts in me, put it on me, charge it to my account. I will pay for it all. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And we thank you um, that you call us when we are set free from our sin to relate to each other differently. There is no longer male nor female, slave nor free, 
Greek nor Gentile, we are one in Christ. So Lord Jesus, help us to remember the good news of the gospel and to let it work itself through our lives to live for you. Amen.